final question. What do you think has changed your mind? Like, what are what are thoughts that you have now that you wouldn't have had before because you've been going out and doing your street epistemology? First, atheists are not rational by default. Just because you don't believe in a God does not mean that you came to that decision using a reliable process, nor does it mean that you are exempt from other beliefs that are untrue. There's nothing special about an atheist where the, the second you discard your God belief, you're suddenly this wise, rational person. Uh, and second, I would say, <laughs> saying I don't know is okay. It's okay to be uncertain. There's nothing wrong with saying that you don't know. And that's a good, that's actually a good thing to model. I'd rather say I don't know something than pretend that I do. And then the third thing that I wrote down is it's so important to be there for people. For people. You can go out and have all these conversations and spend time editing videos and doing interviews, but you have to build in some time to be there for the people that you talk to that they're starting to doubt and they need support. I spend quite a bit of my time every week talking to people that have either watched my videos and they're, they're having some difficulties or they're actually people that I've spoken to that are struggling with the belief that we talked about. And, and that's important. Make time for the people that you're, that you're speaking with and you're not playing around when you're having these types of conversations. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today is the final episode in our series, A Manual for Creating Atheists. But it will not be the last time that we talk about street epistemology or talk with street epistemologists because this conversation today was absolutely fascinating to me, and I hope it will be absolutely fascinating to you as well. Now, once again, I'm joined by Delaney Darko, who has been with us for almost every episode of this series. Randy stops by once again to flip me off a few times and possibly get muted. Randy's brother Jimmy makes his return to Infants on Thrones, and the four of us talk to two street epistemologists, Anthony Magnabosco and Reed Nicewonder. Yeah, Nice Wonder. Isn't Nice Wonder a great name for a street epistemologist? Now, before we start with today's episode, two quick announcements. Or, okay, call it three. First, Anthony Magnabosco, who you will be hearing in today's episode, will be returning to record with us this Sunday night, October 28th at 10 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be reviewing a video that we mentioned briefly in here where he interviews a Mormon couple and does his street epistemology thing. So we'll review that kind of the way the panel reviewed the Mormon missionaries uh, a few episodes ago. So uh, if you want to sit in on that recording and maybe ask Anthony any questions that you might have from today's episode... And if you're a member of Patreon, go to Patreon to find out the details on how to join this Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll be talking with Anthony Magnabosco. Now, there's also a great new smackdown of anti-Mormon crusader Go-Go Jeremy Goff coming this week. Again, to Patreon supporters, it's his video, How Satan Tricks So Many Into Believing His Lies. It's so good, you guys. It's so good. And it's perfect 
for upcoming tricks and treats. I'm going to say that my smackdown of golf is the treat there, you see. So that'll be published on Patreon later this week. And then finally, also this upcoming Sunday, you will hear the October 2018 Infant General Conference episode. With talks from Elder Oaks, of course, and the perpetual good one, Elder Uchtdorf, as well as some super important revelations from both Russell M. Nelson and the resurrected Joseph Smith, as well as some parody songs from Weird Alma and Weird Glenn as well. So that's on its way. And now let's jump into today's episode with street epistemologist Reed Nicewonder and Anthony Magnabosco. I solemnly swear I am up to no good. This other, it's like a rivalry. It's a big uh, rivalry. And, and my daughter's team is pl- praying, playing really well. Um, but um, I don't you know said, how you they... said you said they're praying really well. Did, I did not say praying. Did, I got it. I've got it recorded. Actually. No, no, no. Did I, I really? <laughs> no, you, you corrected yourself. You said praying, playing really uh, well. I just yeah. got noticed that they won it. Okay. So I'm going to shut my, shut my iPad off here. So they must've prayed very well. They, they prayed. <laughs> it worked. Right. Is everyone here a non-believer? Former, former uh, Mormon. Is that? Uh, besides, besides you and Reed, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a non-believer. Yeah, you're a non-believer. Oh, absolutely. Okay. He doesn't believe in a damn thing. Ah, nothing. No, just nothing. <laughs> I believe in loads of things. Just not that 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 thing. <laughs> not <Yeah>. that thing. <laughs> I get that all the time. You're an atheist. Like you believe in nothing. I'm like, well, no. There's lots of things I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there <sighs> things are things are there things that you accept on faith? Mm, possibly, depending on how you define it. Right. Pretending Depends on your definition. <laughs> it's quite likely that I do. Yeah. I'm editing this video right now. Um it's funny because she mentions faith and she mentions it before she even gets to a claim. Like she just really? started, I, I talk about a couple of subjects that we can talk about. And then she says like, kind of what you're talking about is like kind of faith-based stuff. Right. I'm like, Oh, it's interesting that you mentioned it. So we talked about faith. She ended up defining it four times and then we picked a belief that she had and then we examined it. So it was, it was kind of reverse. It was flipped. Huh? So were, the, were the four definitions consistent with each other? No, they kept consistent. <laughs> well, they can, they were, they were getting more and more focused as she kept talking. Oh, okay. So like at first faith meant uh, a group of people who believed the same thing. And then it was, it was um, expectation and then it was indoctrination and then it was believing in things that you can't see. Mm. So her definition became more and more into focus as the conversation progressed. It was really cool. That, that seems like a very productive conversation then. And, and then being able to use the most focused definition of faith what what belief did you guys focus on she was a roman catholic i think a christian catholic and what was really interesting is that as we asked people where they are in their their confidence she put herself at a hundred or at a at a 50 percent but she was with a friend who was acting as my assistant even though I, i i didn't quite end up using her as much as i wanted to um not using her but how having be having her be my helper she was saying that she was 99 percent sure that her god was real uh, so then it, it's just really, it's really cool. It's a, it was a, a much different talk than, than normal. And did those scores change by the end of your discussion? 
we talked about what her life would be like if she dropped to a five from a 50. Mm-hmm. And what was really cool about this talk is that, oh my God, I'm, this, this would actually be kind of cool, cool for the show maybe, but her, um, her friend who was at a 99 said, well, what'd she say? What would you do with all your time if you didn't believe that this was true? Like she, mm. she saw, she was seeing the value in her confidence tied to all the things that she does, all of her community and, yeah. and that type of thing. And she said, oh my gosh, if, if you didn't believe and you didn't go to church every Sunday, you'd spend all your time questioning things. <laughs> and I said, hmm, well, would that really be a bad thing? <laughs> so we talked about that too. Like it was just really neat. Yeah. All right, so so why don't we uh, just just go around the horn and make some introductions first? I, I think our, our listening audience will be familiar with Randy. They'll be familiar with Delaney. She's been on for uh, I think three of the four, maybe all but one of these this series so far. Right. Um, and then Randy's brother Jimmy, we've had on for I don't know, probably six or seven episodes at some point in the past. He's been on Infants on Thrones before, but it's been a while. Um, so Jimmy, uh, for people who might not be as familiar with you, why don't you give a little bit of, of a, a background and introduction and just to get used to your voice? Well, uh, <clears throat> my background is that I left the church in 1991. Um, I was, uh, you know, I did my doctorate in philosophy and, um, so my background is philosophy. I, I don't know. What do you think? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Randy. What's uh, my background? We, we is, can is we like, can all hear you, Randy. Uh, you're, you're I'm going to mute. I'm going to mute you while you're walking around, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Just and uh, and when when you left in 1991, um, this was like before internet. It was it was nothing like the way that people are leaving the church today. Uh, was it a rather lonely thing? What was it like? It was very lonely, and um, there, you know, is it's it's really hard to talk about what what it was like in like 1991 to to leave the church, and you know, you become a cautionary tale, and yeah, and so yeah, 1991 was when I was. my first year in Japan as a missionary there. So interesting. I was going the opposite direction at that time. Yeah. <laughs> but, but starting to turn cause that, that's where it all started to turn for me. And then uh, today we're really happy. We've got Reed and Anthony with us. Both are street epistemologists. They've got YouTube channels uh, where they, they stop and they talk to people. I think this is the fifth in the series of, a manual for creating atheists. And we've been talking about, about street epistemologists without ever talking to street epistemologists. So we're really uh, great that we get to have you here. So let me start with you, Reed, if you could give a little bit of uh, background and introduction, who you are. Sure thing. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, yeah, my name is Reed Nicewonder. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Causal Curiosity, where I uh, upload interviews I have with people using street epistemology, where I try to. And uh, yeah, I'm 31 years old, originally from Southwest Virginia, uh, went to film school in Orlando, Florida at UCF, moved out here to Los Angeles, uh, late 2011, just been an independent filmmaker ever since. And, and we were talking before we started recording, you were raised Southern Baptist and 
you were pretty religious until about college. Is that right? Yeah, I raised Southern Baptist, uh, stopped going to church when I went to boarding school and high school, uh, took an Eastern religions class that kind of opened my mind during high school. Then during college, had an atheist roommate, got me exposed to that and just kind of became apathetic by the end of college. And then after college, uh, I kind of discovered the atheism subreddit as I was bored on Reddit. It was a default subreddit at the time and exposed me to a lot more uh, and lost my faith shortly after that. Lost your faith and gained your freedom. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of a bumper (laughs) sticker for that. Thanks, Reed. All right, Anthony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, do we have to give our ages? We don't have to, <laughs> no. Okay, so I was raised in a Catholic household in a very Italian neighborhood. I, I'm the oldest of four and probably one of the more skeptical of the bunch, I suppose. I didn't believe it. I thought it was made up. And my Even as were, a little kid? you just like, Even oh. as a little kid, yeah. yeah. It's like in seventh, uh, I was seven years old, I think, and I thought it was made up. And I told my parents and they sat me down with a priest and a nun to express to me how true this is. Mm. And I was like, okay, I guess. And just kind of went along with it. And I didn't think too much of the whole atheist. I guess I, I maybe if you were to ask me as a teenager or in my twenties, what I I was, I would probably say agnostic because Mm. I didn't quite understand the definitions of those words. And then I, I understood the definition of those words as I got older and started looking into it and becoming aware of Dawkins and Hitchens and, and Harris and Dennett and catching the atheist experience. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe yeah. this stuff. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then that's when I discovered Boghossian's book, uh, which is, I guess, the topic for today. But thank you so much for inviting us on. Um, oh, we, yeah. we, we've caught, I, I don't know how many readers watch or listen to, but I've listened to a couple of your episodes on SE on a manual for creating atheists. And I'm really glad that you guys invited us here. Um, we're really eager to talk to you guys. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's, uh, boy, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to know for, for both of you with, with Bogosian's book, and it did take me a couple of episodes to even be able to pronounce that right. <laughs> I think I was calling him Borgosian or something for a while, <laughs> but, uh, um, did you, so you heard our response to it. What was, what was your response when, when you first got that book? Did you have any trepidation at all about his style or approach or, or did it just like speak to you or how, how did you mm. respond to it? When I first read his book, I was looking for a, 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 an approach to have a better conversation with people who still believed in God mm. because I was arguing, debating, ridiculing. So then when I, I th- I'm pretty sure Bogosian announced his book or was selling his book at the FFRF had a convention in Portland. It was their 35th. What's FFRF? Uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation. Sorry. So have you heard of that? I, well, Randy's on mute, but I can see his mouth going right now. Like, okay. come on, Glenn, how do you FFRF, not know what that is? No, yeah. But Bogosian gave a talk and he was talking about his book, I think. And I think I bought it and I think I read it on the, on the flight home. And I was shaking because I thought this might be a better way of talking to people. Mm. So I was extremely optimistic when I read it. And then um, when you try to put it into practice, 
you end up learning even more. Uh, we can get into that. I think we'll probably get into that. But um, to answer your question, no, I, I was I was ecstatic that there might be a better way of talking to people. And I was actually kind of like, I, I liked the title at the time too, because I was like, look at this. I'm on an airplane and I'm reading this very subversive looking book. <laughs> um, I guess we could probably get into the title of the book too, because I think it's now somewhat problematic, but, but that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. The like- FFRF is the freedom from religion foundation or the for 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 they had they they yeah they they haven't mastered the acronym concept All right. <laughs> how about you reed what, what was your experience with the bogosian book yeah i guess at, at at the time i was volunteering for this nonprofit here in los angeles called atheist united and i was pretty much into secular activism and science education. And then I I think I read the book a few months after it came out. I was pretty intrigued by it, but didn't think too much about it for a while. Um, And then I think in January of 2015, I stumbled across Anthony's videos. Mm. I saw how it could be used in practice. And that got me really intrigued. And uh, ever since then, just, really loved it all right that's really funny because when i think of my videos in january 2015 i'm kind of cringing because <laughs> i don't think that they were really very good but um there weren't a lot of examples of se out there and there certainly weren't a lot of examples of atheists calmly talking to believers i think that may have been a that was kind of a novelty back then it, it might still be um yeah, but, what, and, and what, what made you want to take it in that direction? I mean, because it sounds like you had been talking with people of faith before. You weren't, you were questioning your approach and, and the effectiveness of it. Is that, am I reading that right? But, but you, you, yeah. were you having the same types of conversations or was it just with like family members, friends? I was not using SE with family and friends at all. Yeah. I went straight to street preachers <laughs> with a camera. Okay. And, and dabbling a little bit online with the idea of there are no examples out there. Let me at least start recording stuff and posting examples and maybe people will give me feedback. And that's what happened. That's why I'm kind of cringing when I think of January, 2015, my goodness, <laughs> because um, I think I've progressively gotten better at the approach mainly because of feedback and, and, uh, as Reed likes to say, falling forward, like learning from your mistakes, yeah. recognizing that you screwed up and yeah, then sure. trying to get better at it next time. And uh, there, there was a need, I think uh, there was a, there was a de- desire for examples and I, I myself wanted them. And I thought, well, if I want examples, there are probably other people who want to see this, this approach being carried out above and beyond the examples that were in the book. Now, yeah. are you, are you talking about, um, cause like when I go to the USC game this Saturday, uh, there's going to be uh, these people with megaphones that are shouting, you're going to hell. Yeah. And I always piss off my wife when I engage them, <laughs> but I have to engage them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, are, are, are these the kind of people you're engaging? These, well, but how do you engage them, Randy? Like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They're being dicks too. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is... Uh, Looking back, starting with Street Preachers, while at the time it seemed like the best move because I wanted to have repeat conversations with people who really, really strongly, strongly believed this stuff. 
And I thought, well, they're there on Saturdays and Sundays, and I've got time on Saturdays and Sundays. Let me go talk to the street preachers. They were probably the worst person that I could have started with because they're very closed. They're in a venue where they're they're preaching. They're not there to right. honestly reflect on their views. Right? They're, they're in preach mode. They're not. They're in transmit mode, yeah. not in receive mode. Um. So that was probably a learning experience in itself of like the venue considerations and the the mindset that a person might be in when you decide to engage with them. Did you find, um, did either of you do Mormon missionaries have interactions with them? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I have, I was thinking about that before this call, how many times I've met Mormons and I think I've had four exchanges with Mormons, not as many as I would like. And probably more like I may have met a Mormon who thinks that karma was real and they didn't want to talk about their God belief, but they wanted to talk about karma, for example. Huh. Uh, assuming that Mormons believe in karma. Uh, if, if you met a Mormon, no. they, they, no. they, would, they would be really, no. really happy to tell you. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was <laughs> thinking, mm, I don't know if that's the best example, <laughs> but I, I, I've run into a couple of Mormons. I usually run into them like when I'm out getting lunch or something and there's four of them. And if I spot them, I, I ask if I can join them, and then we sit down and we talk. I've done that twice. Just remember I, that they're, they're children that think they know everything. Well, they're elders, and they're like 16 mm. years old or 18 years old yeah. or something, 20 yeah. years old. They're, no, they're I was one so of them. Young. I, I was a, a kid, and I thought I knew everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and they do seem – I love – actually, I love talking to Mormons. Uh, of, the, of the various religions, they seem to be the nicest to approach – they seem to be the most honest. Yeah, I don't South know if that's Park, a front. South, South Park uh, tapped into that really well. I never watched any of that stuff. I, I couldn't really tell you. Mm. But I love, to, I love wow. talking to Mormons. And I've met a few on the trail. Um, one of the videos on my channel is with a couple. It's a, it's a man and woman. Yeah, I watched both that one. Mormons. Have you watched yeah. that one? Yeah. Did, yeah. And we just had a beautiful talk. Yeah, except she wanted to leave and he wanted to keep talking. She was, she was getting hungry, <laughs> she was I think. Hungry, she wanted to right? go. She was. Yeah. yeah. Reed, you, yeah. do you run into any, many Mormons out there on the West Coast? I don't think I've ever run into any Mormons as far as I know. I've run into a bunch of woo. and yeah. I, Well, you're in Hollywood. Yeah, but not so much Mormons, no. Yeah, Reed tends to get the woo. I mean, I get my share, fair share of woo, but it's mostly religion. People want to talk about Jesus for the most part. And you're in Texas, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you watched any of the videos, Jimmy? No, I haven't, but I, I would like to hear what they have to say, uh, what you guys have to say about the book by Boghossian, mm -hmm. a manual for creating atheists. Uh, Reed, do you want to start or I can jump in? Whatever. Anyone. Um, it's been a while since I've read it. I read it, uh, I think I've only read it once and then just kind of skimmed ever since. And no, 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 because you guys are street epistemologists, right? Yes. Essentially. And that's, right? that's where it came from. But my real knowledge of SE comes from just watching videos of Anthony doing street epistemology and pretty much mimicking or copying what he was doing. And then I went, I, then I went back to the book and kind of skimmed through it. And there's some examples in the book, but that's not as good at all compared to like the video seeing Anthony doing it with real people. So I, how, how is Bogosian kind of viewed in general? I mean, is there like a consensus among street epistemologists that say, 
you know, this is the godfather of what we've done or, <laughs> you know, thanks for kicking it off. We'll take it from here. Or, you know, like, is, is there a consensus? That's um, last year, last year, I think I did a poll in one of the Facebook groups asking how do people learn about SE mm-hmm. and more than half learned it um, from either Anthony or from other videos. Mm. But like, it's not, so Pagosia is not a big player. Not, not, not recently, no. But I, guess you, could some, say, okay. I guess you could say Bogosian planted the seed with his book and it caught the attention. It broke through the noise and some people, including myself, discovered it and went out to put it into practice. And then we learned things that worked really well and things that didn't work very well. And I think Bogosian himself is in the process of writing a book maybe in a street epistemology 2.0 or, or something to, to, you know, taking a look at all the progress that we've made since his book came out to where we are now. Um, the book, I guess, uh, I, I think I, I read it. Yeah. I read it back in like 2012 at the end of 2012 or 2013, like I said, when I was on that airplane, and I probably read it a few more times in 2013, 2014, I think I listened to the audiobook once again last year or maybe 2016. And I remember thinking, like listening to the, uh, in the book, there are a couple of examples. That was the thing that I liked the most was this back and forth dialogue he would have with people. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is it. Like this is, this is the method being, being acted out here. Although I think he was drawing from real experiences. And I remember thinking, ooh, he's kind of brash. Like he's cutting the guy <laughs> off. And I don't know if I would quite answer. I, I don't know if I would quite say that. Like it was almost snarky in a way. So, but that's the beauty of this approach. And I think Bogosian himself would probably, I don't want to put words or thoughts in, 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 into his head that he, don't, he doesn't uh, think. But I would imagine that he's probably pretty happy with where we are with SE today compared to where it was. Mm-hmm. but you'd have to ask him for sure you know to to be sure what did you think of the book jimmy i thought it was one of the worst books i've ever read as a <laughs> philosopher it's, it's just a terrible book and i'm an atheist uh it's just awful it was just awful um <laughs> could you say why did you listen to it or did you read it were you the one oh, there was somebody it. that was oh, really I, that I, didn't like his voice or something okay I'm, so so here's one thing that he does is that he begs the question in really ridiculous ways. So faith is pretending to believe what's not true. And then he puts it through all kinds of like little iterations uh, right. that are really silly. I mean, this is something that would not make it through a high school class. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm sorry, but I honestly think as an atheist who's been a philosopher, who's been, you know, dealing with this stuff, that he is an embarrassment. And there are so much better people. Like, look at, look at, look at what, you know, look at like every single chapter in that book, I've, I've been reading it the last two nights, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of embarrassed to be an atheist. There are like much better people, <laughs> you know. There's like Stephen I think we're Madala talking to there. two of them, Jimmy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> seriously, I mean, I mean, yeah. like, like, look at look at that thing where he says, where where he talks about faith, 
And he talks about faith and he says, oh, I've got this like James Randi sort of thing that I'm going to do where I'm going to ask you to separate faith from hope. And it's just bad. It's mm. just bad. I'm, I'm just sorry. Mm. It's just bad. Yeah, I would say the, um, the idea that faith has one or two specific meanings as they're presented in the book mm. is, um, is not where I'm at. Um, this, this took years. I think when I first went out, I was like, Oh, I even have tweets where I'm arguing with people saying like, no faith is either pretending to know something that you don't know, or it's, um, belief without evidence. And then it dawned on me at some point through having dialogue with lots of people that people have different definitions of this word. Right. And, and, and there are other words too, like God yeah. has a whole bunch of definitions. Yeah. Um, one thing that we tend to do these days, if you look at any of the recent examples within the last three or four years, we tend to ask people to define the words that they're using and we tend to accept. No, 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 no. Defining a word is like a very naive way of looking at things, right? Okay. Define faith for me right now. Would you like my definition of it? No, I would like a definition that works in the way that... Seriously. Are you asking for the definition that I use if you were to ask me if I was like using faith for something? No, I'm telling you that when you try to define something, you're not making sense. Like, for example, okay, faith, does it have to do with hope? I meet a lot of people that equate faith with hope. Okay. Now, is that a good way of thinking about definitions? Do you, do you think words have specific meanings that never change? No. Okay. So, exactly. So, do you actually know what definition means? Mm. What is the definition? Are you asking me for the definition of definition? Define. Exactly. No. This is, this is part of the point, is that, yeah. like, there's, like, a real serious silliness that goes on when people are trying to define faith. So, for example, you have faith. Do you have hope? Do you have trust? Do you have all of those other things? Well, are you asking me if I have faith? I would imagine. No, if- no, I'm asking. I'm, I'm asking about your conception or definition, and that's one of the things that, that that's going on when when Bogosian and you know talks about definition and hope and faith and all that is that he has a really awful conception of what a definition is, a, a very very ludicrous definition of definition. Yeah. No, I thought I thought that as well, and I I think that um, what what Anthony's talking about is when he's um, meeting people in in the park, and they start talking about terms. He'll ask them, "What what do you mean when you use this word?" And whether that's the right definition or or not, it kind of gives you an indication of where they're coming from to be able to engage them in in a conversation and a dialogue where. I, I, from the videos that I watch of you, Anthony, you do a lot more listening than you do talking. That was one of the things about the the approach that I really, really liked. The, I try to listening, because listening skills and restating and 
Yeah, that that's a big part of it is understanding what words they're saying, what words, how they're, what kind of meanings they're applying to these words. And faith is a big one. Faith is a faith is one of those baggage words um, that could be kind of hard to unpack. Like I was telling you, I don't know if we were recording or not, but I met a woman a couple of days ago where she ended up kind of giving various definitions of the words that kept getting um, seemingly more focused as we, as the conversation was progressing. So when she was no longer using it to mean expectation and she was using it to mean indoctrination, we went with that word. So it was sort of a progression. I think it's really important that you, you slow down and you try to understand what they're saying and the words that they're, and the meaning of the words that they're using, because you could be having two completely different conversations. If you, if you think, Oh my gosh, faith is pretending to know things you don't know. And somebody is, somebody is using it to mean trust. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're going to be just talking past each other. So I, I think it's really important to something for the purpose yeah. of the conversation, accept tentatively accept their definition and then have the conversation. That would be my advice. Yeah. So, so maybe let, let's, let's back up. Um, when, as street epistemologists, when you engage people, what, what's the motivation for doing that? And what's kind of the overall objective? Is it, is it in alignment with what Bogosian states in his book where you view faith, uh, faith as a virus and you're trying to give them treatment to cure them of the faith virus? Um, or is it, is it something else? Um, for me, I really value skepticism and critical thinking. And I, for me, when I'm doing SE with people, I'd like to just create an opportunity for people to reflect on why they believe things. Just give them an opportunity to just talk about their beliefs. And that's usually enough to let them kind of get into a type of system two type of thinking, you know, system one, system two, like slow and fast type of thinking. And, uh, yeah, it's it's really nice. Yeah, I, I've I've come to learn that those words don't really tend to help foster a good conversation. Words you, like virus. Yeah, if you approach yeah. it like, oh, I'm helping this sick person. No, right. like, <laughs> yeah, I I very easily could have could be in their shoes. I I probably am in their shoes on a lot of beliefs. Mm. I'm not saying that I've have it all figured out and I have the truth. Um, I want somebody like Reed to use SE on a claim that I make and help me take another look at it and possibly reduce my confidence in it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this whole idea of, and I've tweeted stuff about like faith is a virus and, and this type of stuff, but I don't think it's helpful. And when you do this enough with people, when you have these types of Socratic conversations where you're using SE, I think you tend to, it tends to develop your empathy towards people. Right. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I hear so many people that say I've learned SE and now I'm so much more calm when I meet somebody that I disagree with. And that's, that's a really phenomenal thing. It's not only changing the people that you might be talking to where you're using the method. I think it has the, the, the tendency to change the practitioner in a positive way. Mm. So, so, so then is, is part of that objective in, in your motivation for doing this, your own personal enlightenment? <laughs> if that's the right word or improvement or yeah, that that's part of it. Like, uh, yes, I want to, I want to get rid of things that are not true in my brain. I or even developing empathy for other people where before well, that, that, that was like a, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, no, that was ahead. like a, that was like an unexpected bonus. Like, Oh mm -hmm. wow. Like 
I have more empathy for people. I'm, I could be more calm when I hear somebody say something that just seems ridiculous because you understand how fallible human minds are. So that, that was probably a motivation. Uh, another motivation is I want this whole falling forward idea of I want to show examples where I am failing, but learning from them and then teaching other people. Like, now, did you notice when I, I asked her that question, but then I asked her another one before she had a chance to finish, uh, a chance to respond? I want to teach people how to use this method. So that's another example. Mm-hmm. And not only the viewers, but the people that I'm talking to. Like, I would love it if the, my interlocutor wanted to learn the method after having the conversation with me. Yes. No, I, and I've seen you do that with a few people where, where like I, there was one where they were friends and you're like, okay, you be the one that's questioning him. And then you're, no, don't question like that. Don't, don't wait for him to answer. <laughs> that, that coaching him through, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Someone was starting to say something and I talked over you. Who was it? Oh, that was like, me. Reed? Oh, Randy? Okay. Yeah. Do I, do I sound okay? You sound good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> We, we've talked about this method. We've talked about the method. We've talked about the method, but we haven't said what the method is. Is this uh, something you covered in a previous podcast or? A little bit, but we could, we could do it here. Oh, you already that's, did it? That's a good point. No, I mean, we should, we should. I just want to hear what the method is. Yeah. So I guess I can, I can jump on that. Uh, the method of street epistemology in a nutshell is setting aside your biases as much as you can. I know it's, I understand that it's probably impossible to do so. And honestly, listening to, to the person that you're speaking with to understand what they think is true, why they think it's true, what are their reasons, and then how they determine that those reasons were valid to warrant a high degree of confidence that what they think is true is really true. By asking questions, it's not telling them that they're wrong. It's having them explain the steps they use to get to those conclusions. And that's street epistemology in a nutshell. That's a simplified version of it. There's a lot more that goes to it. It takes a, The mechanics of it are pretty easy to learn, but putting it, into, putting it actually into practice and not getting upset when, when somebody says something that offends you can be kind of hard to do. But if you, if you, if you stay focused and try to peel back rather than pile on, you will probably get to the main foundation of that this belief is based on. And then you can examine the reliability of the method they use to get to that foundation, to get to, to get to that belief. This was something in the, in the book that I really did like when, when Bogosian talked about this process and, and as a Socratic method that starts in a place of wonder a place of curiosity, which I don't know if that's, if Reed, that's why you've got curiosity in the name of what you do. But I mean, it's like, let's be be curious instead of certain. I'm jealous of his YouTube channel name. It's really good. (laughs) It's a good, it's a good name. Uh, So starting in a place of wonder, I don't remember what the next step was, uh, you know, asking them to, to uh, explain their beliefs. And then there was that, what Elinkus phase or something like that, which is just really like a Q and a, um, or, or, or asking under certain conditions, would it change? Is that what it was? Would, would the belief change if this, and you kind of throw a little curveball at it, but you're trying to knock it back into wonder all the time. Did I understand that right? Did I summarize it okay? I think so. Yeah, there's like the wonder, hypothesis, mm-hmm. elinkus, uh, accept or revise, 
and then act accordingly. Right. Yeah. And the and the, the bulk of SE is in the others, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you were starting to say something earlier, Reed, as well, and we kind of went. Uh, did, did we move off that track? Uh, I think we were talking about the goals of SE, and yeah, Anthony okay. mentioned something about um, yeah, just having the videos there as examples. I think. Uh, Anthony and I are special cases. We actually go out and record our conversations. And for most people who follow SE, they are just doing it when it comes up casually in their own lives. Uh, you don't have to go out on the street or, you know, out in real life to start conversations. Um, uh, so yeah, part, part of the goal for me is to help model a way of having conversations uh, at you know, based on the values of skepticism and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I think Reed, Reed and I are, are similar in the, in that we we tend to initiate our conversations and record them and share them online. Very few people will do that. Um, Reed does, what we, I guess we've kind of dubbed um, passive initiated, where he has a table and he invites people with a sign to come and talk to him. I do more of an, an active initiated approach where I, I don't have a sign. I just walk around with a, 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 note, a notepad a whiteboard, whiteboard and my camera. And I ask people if they want to talk, but yeah, reads right. Like most people that use SE, they encounter somebody making a claim and it doesn't have to be about God. Uh, we should probably be clear about that too. And then, then people start engaging by asking these questions. Yeah. What, what are some of the most common beliefs that you run across as you're talking with people? In my area, it's mostly God. People like to talk about God. I've been trying to get people to talk about politics, but they don't want to talk about it usually. Mm. So God is a popular one. Usually it goes supernatural. So after God, I would say it's probably karma. Everything happens for a reason. We talk about luck. That's my favorite. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a couple of those on my channel. So those are those are pretty interesting. Um, I tend to keep the talks kind of brief too. Uh, at least I try. I try to set a timer for five minutes so that I'm not holding them up for too long. <laughs> Usually the timer beeps and they want to keep going. Yeah. Uh, I think the talk with the Mormon couple is 45 minutes or That's something long. on my channel. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the individuals wanted to leave, but I think uh, the other one wanted to stay and keep talking. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. So you, you see, you, do you see different beliefs in uh, California, Reed? Yeah, a little more spiritual stuff here, mm-hmm. kind of general spirituality, kind of like law of attraction, uh, karma. Oh, God, the secret? Know, the secret, a lot of the secret. Oh, we get a lot of the secret stuff here, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. law of attraction. <laughs> it, 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 when you're having these conversations, like uh, I, I know you set the, the timer, Anthony, for five minutes and you try and keep it pretty focused. It seems like it's easier to focus the time than it is sometimes, just from what I've seen, to focus like the subject matter. Like if you want, if, if, if you say, let's just talk about your belief in God, then they end up talking about their belief in this or their belief in the Bible, their belief in all these other things that kind of support God. Is, is that something that you run into as a problem trying to isolate a specific belief to talk about without it bleeding over into uh, other interconnected, interrelated beliefs? Yeah. There's, there's a temptation to jump on the first claim that a person makes when there might be a broader claim that, mm. that knocks out a lot more 
in one fell swoop. So when somebody says, oh yeah, I'd like to talk with you about how prayer works, what you might really be talking about is whether the God exists or not. Mm-hmm. So you can spend 10 minutes talking about prayer, have them realize that, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can't really tell that prayer is actually happening. But then they walk away thinking that oh, they're, they're just as confident that their God is real. Whereas if you were to talk about the God, then miracles, prayers, all these other things that are tied to that. So I like, I like going for the big, the big discussions, but sometimes you have to nibble at the edges a little bit, especially if you just have five minutes or if you're just new to this and you, you want to have a talk with somebody using street epistemology, you might want to pick a, a very focused claim like that and not the big ones. Okay. How, how do you guys determine if a conversation that you've had has been a success or if it's been effective or mm. want me to go? Yeah. Uh, from, <laughs> you go first. Cause I think our answers will probably differ. Yeah. For me, I like to see a lot of uh, system two thinking, which I kind of, uh, sorry if there's background noise, there's a lot of just pausing or kind of looking up and just thinking. Uh, just could could you define like the level one and the level two thinking? Is that what you said? Um, thinking? Yeah. It's just, it, this comes from uh, Kahneman, Tversky, thinking fast and slow. System one is a lot of our, uh, kind of intuitive, emotional reasoning. It's it's the vast majority of it, uh, of our thinking and reasoning. But system two is where we kind of slow down and uh, really try and think uh, think through what we're thinking about. So so level one would be just kind of like the the automatic answers that just come to head without really thinking a lot about it. And then once. What once those aren't working, they kind of pause. There's longer time looking around. That's a level two. Yeah, you can tell okay. people just just slow down uh, immensely. Or, okay, and uh, yeah, it's a there's a big difference there. So so you you see effectiveness or a success if they if they spend more time in a level two than in a level one that they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What were you going to say, Delaney? I was just going to make a joke that I, I think I figured out my problem in life. I'm always in level two thinking. <laughs> hmm. I'm always really, hmm. It takes me a long time to say things sometimes. That was interesting. I guess I would say for my, what, what, what constitutes a success for me is where the person, they, they, they feel grateful for having had the talk. They don't feel like they were side, like blindsided by the conversation. I don't want them to feel embarrassed. I want to leave them in a reflective mood where they're happy to have had the talk. And, and that's really important where they say, wow, I've never been asked those questions. Those are good questions. I wish more people asked those types of questions. Mm. That is a success. Yes, sometimes it's nice to see movement on a person's confidence after a short time talking to them. Like, yeah, you know, maybe I really can't be 100% sure that, that, that Mormonism is true. That's nice. That's nice to hear, especially when you, when you meet somebody who's rigid and dogmatic and they're absolutely sure. When you see people moving off of certainty, that is really great see, like I mentioned before, like seeing them walk away, wanting to learn more about the method so that they can use it. Or they say, 
I'm going to look into this because I've got a friend who wants to convert me to a different religion and I'm going to ask him some questions. I've actually had people say that too. Hmm. Those are probably just off the top of my head. A couple of, a couple of goals, I guess, maybe close it out. I definitely have more, but getting a good recording of it where like the lighting is good. The sound was good. There weren't too many airplanes flying overhead. It was quick enough for, for a short attention span audience where they would be like, oh, wow, that was really cool. I'm going to watch some more of these, that type of thing. So there, there's, a, there's a production element component to that as well for me. Cool. I, I, I like that, that, that you just want to have them walk away. What's wrong, Randy? Uh-huh. Now I'm unmuted. <laughs> yeah, because you were coughing before. Come yeah. on, man. It's a podcast. Well, fucking, if you mute you me, want? be quick on the unmute. After I cough, you fucking asshole. Yeah, now <laughs> how could I hear you if you're on unmute? But anyway. All right. No, like you, you muted me. You didn't unmute me. How did you even see him? Because I can only see four people at once right now. Yeah, well, I've got, I've got the screen. Okay. And I, I, I gave a big middle finger. <laughs> yeah, but you're... But you're but, all right. Uh, so, so my you, question you, is... You, you uh, have the floor, Randy. Oh, you're thank you. Now. Oh, thank you, master. <laughs> I, I feel so honored that I have been unmuted. Anyway, hurry, uh, hurry. No, no, I'm going to take my time. I'm gonna, <laughs> hey, I got the floor. No, I mean, what, what percentage of uh, videos do you air? And like, well, I, I guess I'm trying to get a feel of like how many times it goes bad and you don't air it. Um, what, would, what would a bad conversation look like for you? Uh, you know, it's just a conversation that doesn't look like, or it doesn't seem like something that's arable. Okay. Like how much, how much of the footage that you collect totally, uh, do you air? And, and, I would say, and how would you define that? Is it more like technical problems with the video or is it like subject matter in the conversation? It's, it's usually a mixture of technical and, and novelty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if it's a, let's say that let's say it's not a technical issue and I'll answer your question too. Just, let me just, let me just throw this number out. I would say one out of 10, I upload. That doesn't mean the other nine were crappy. It probably means that, well, it was just sort of a ho-hum conversation about karma or we spent 20 minutes kind of figuring out what the topic was before settling on God. And then when we did, we spent another 20 minutes just going over stories about why they thought it was true. And then their phone rang and then they, they, you know, scurried off that type of thing. So, um, so I'm, I'm pretty discriminating when I decide what to upload, particularly because it takes a lot of time to edit and I like to put captions on it and, and, there's this whole, there's this whole backend process that I have to consider. It's not, it's not that the conversation was bad or the person got upset or we, uh, we ended up arguing or anything like that. That's not at all what's happened. It's more usually, well, it was kind of boring. There wasn't anything unique about it. There wasn't really anything educational about it. And I have to keep that in the back of my mind. I, I have an audience looking for content. Now, I recognize that that could look a little weird. Like, oh, he's only uploading like one out of 10. Like, what is he hiding? Very often I will live stream on Periscope so people can see what those other conversations look like. I even ask people like, let me know, is that YouTube or not YouTube? And then people will, will basically tell me not YouTube. Or I've been, um, I've been, and Rita has been doing this too. We've been broadcasting the audio live through the Discord server. There's a street epistemology Discord server where I have one of my 
uh, Apple AirPods in my ear and people can be hearing me and I can be hearing the crowd listening so they can see, they can actually listen in that instance of why I probably decided not to upload it. So I'm not hiding anything. It's just more of, um, production value. Yeah. It's, it's more like what's the best use of everyone's time. That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. It's the same ratio for me, pretty much around 10 to 20%. Um, usually the talks, we just don't really get into the reasons uh, or the quality of the reasons. That's, those are the kind of the conversations that I like to listen to and watch. So it's usually uh, for those reasons I don't upload. I should say, though, if, if there was anyone interested in getting in, into this and upload, recording and uploading content, upload your, upload your best examples, upload even your crappy examples for people who are in the groups, in the SE groups to listen to and give you feedback uh, because that's how you grow. So um, I, I, there, there's, there's something that I, I always like worry about a little bit, like because Reed and I are pretty much uploading our best examples, somebody new to this, I don't want anyone to feel blindsided like, oh, wow, they're putting like, like, they're showing us this one thing, but it's this completely other thing is happening. That's, that's really not the case. At least in my instance, like they are really good talks. I just want to put the best foot forward. Um, but it's why I, I like the live stream. So people who are interested in getting into this can listen or see and understand why it wasn't uploaded. Mm-hmm. And nowadays there's about half a dozen or more, uh, channels uploading, uh, videos. So it's, it's really great. There's a playlist that is, pretty much everyone's videos. Uh, and, uh, there's usually one every few days. So there's, there's content out there for sure. Did, did you say half a dozen or a dozen, like how, how many other street epistemologists besides the two of you do you feel are, are out there putting out content like you're doing actively more than six, less than 10. I think it's around there. Yeah. People tend to, they, they get into it, maybe upload a dozen videos or maybe 20 videos, and then they take a little break. They come back to it, that type of thing. Mm. And like Reed mentioned, um, yeah, there's a playlist where we dump everything in there, all the latest stuff. Like uh, any discussion about SE or, um, or conversations that people are having, we try to put it in that, in that YouTube playlist. Yeah, even criticisms from people uh, that aren't us, they'll, they'll, those will go in there. Well, I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. You guys, okay. is it so, about definitions? No, no, it's I'm just not giving about you definitions. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. No, I'm, I'm already regretting that. No, uh, no, um, please don't. But the, um, you know, how do you deal with people who disagree with you? Um, you know, who are actually sympathetic, right, to the the whole cause of being skeptical and. And so on. Uh, you know, obviously, there are going to be some people that are disagreeing with you. I, I, I think Bogosian's book is really bad. Um, I think what you guys are doing seems kind of interesting. You know, and so how do you, how do you deal with those criticisms? Personally, getting a criticism from a theist who's upset because we're, what we're doing it just kind of rolls off my back. The, the criticisms that hurt the most are when it's, when it's another skeptic that, uh, that maybe heard about what SE is or watched an example or read the book and walked away with an impression and then just ended it there. 
And then um, I've even had people like say, you know, we, we, we would, we're just as bad as them. If we go on the offensive, we shouldn't be doing this. This is proselytizing. You get this a lot um, from skepticism, from skeptics and atheists, not so much these days, but I remember very did clearly you feel like that when you were listening to our episodes, because I think we did quite a bit of that. That tends to come up. That that's like, yeah. I mean, I was. I don't have my notes anymore. I don't think, but I remember yeah. jotting like, okay, yeah, they're thinking that it's proselytizing. That's a common criticism, but um, usually when people watch the videos, that's why I think Reed and I spend so much time uploading the examples because they speak for themselves. It's one of the best right. ways to learn SE mm-hmm. by observing this stuff. Like, oh wow, when the Mormon woman said that she didn't really she couldn't really tell the difference between the feeling that she was getting and, and how she could be so sure that it's true or something like that. Um, Anthony didn't say like, here's the God delusion. Now, (laughs) you know, we tend to leave people alone with their thoughts where if, if we were proselytizing for a particular worldview, I, I would say we would probably guide them to some resource or something like that. Uh, so I think that's one of the biggest differences where, it's funny too because we there's a, there's a lot of believers that are watching SE Street Epistemology and saying like oh I want to go out and do that for Jesus <laughs> yeah and we're like okay well this will be interesting I can't wait to see your video and I think it would be evident when when the Street Epistemology stops the questioning of the steps you use to get to your process stops and the proselytizing begins mm. and I, I'd feel terrible if if um if I ever found myself like pushing a worldview on somebody. And so I don't know if that, no, I'm sorry if that didn't answer your question. No, 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 that, that, that does. We, we kind of um, delved off course, but yeah, we, we do continue to get some criticism. I remember uh, Richard Dawkins very early on shared a video and I was like, Oh, this is great. Until I read the comments from all the atheists who just, they didn't even watch the video. They just thought that this was like, evangelizing for atheism it's like oh man just watch the video fortunately some people did and they joined the groups and they and you know this is kind of a a grassroots growing approach we even have a a special facebook group called critique street epistemology where we welcome anybody to make a post or what is it called critique street epistemology critique okay Mm mm-hmm yeah, we actually want people to critique this and poke holes in it. That's why um, we get excited when we see criticism of, of it because we understand that there are faults with the book. We understand that there are faults with the way that we're going about doing this. So we're not we're not pretending <laughs> ourselves that we have it all figured out. We want people to to critique it and give us feedback so that we can improve it. How are we going to get better at it if we if we can't address the concerns that people have? Right. Yeah, the book is called A Manual for Creating Atheists, but even if everyone on the planet was an atheist, I would still be doing street epistemology because I think it's just general, great, uh, it's a great perennial project, critical thinking and skepticism. How, how frequently do you have people like repeat conversations because you, you're you're set up pretty much the same place, the same time usually, so... <laughs> people that meet you once there would expect to find you if they're walking around the park again or something. Does that happen or it doesn't happen enough for me, but when it does, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I could have mul- multiple repeat conversations with the same person about the same topic. It's common to see the other per- the person again 
And usually they wave and they smile or they, I'm talking to somebody else and they're like, talk to this guy. He's good. Like, you know, like give me the, they give me the thumbs up. Yeah. But, um, and there, there have been some times where I've had repeat conversations too, where I was at a college campus early on and I would see students again and again. And I've had three conversations with one guy and two conversations with another and three with this other uh, young uh, female student. Those are great when they happen. I don't really get that too much on the trail. Usually they're kind of one-off conversations, but I would really like to, that's, we, we kind of joke about this, but it's like the holy grail of SE is meeting somebody on camera and having four or five conversations over the course of six months or a year mm, yeah. where you can see the progress. Yeah. We, we have a couple of examples like that on, on our channels, but um, nothing quite end to end and detailed like that. Yeah. All right. The golden contact. That's yeah, that's what that's what we called them as missionaries, the golden invest, investigator, the golden contact. Yeah. So we've been doing this for about an hour. Um, are, are you guys okay on time or you need to wrap it up? I'm really okay. good on time. I can definitely go longer if you want. Okay. Um, J- Jimmy. Yes. Do you have other questions you want to ask? For me, uh, I, I would just like to say something as someone who's like part of the same world that you guys are a part of, you know, street epistemologist, right? I, I actually use that, uh, that that phrase, something close to it, uh, you know, in, in trying to describe my teaching about, you know, critical thinking and, you know, science and skepticism and stuff like that as a teacher, Right. Um, and so one of the, one of the things that really is a problem for me is that I, I, I just don't think that you guys have like a very strong sense of what religion does and its relationship to knowledge. So for example, you, you talk about like street epistemology and you, you go, and, you know, talk to people on the streets. I, I could do that. I do that in the class all the time and all that. But, like, the, the, the books that are the main part of this, like the, the Boghossian book, are just really just bad. And so I, I don't know how to respond. I, I think it's really great that you're trying to do this. But I, I feel kind of frustrated as a fellow skeptic i mean there are much better sources you know look at someone like tanner edis or look at philip kitcher um you know there are so much better sources and so i'm I'm just wondering you know do you guys think about that do you Sources to understand epistemology or to understand Epist- epistemology, philosophy, literature, the whole like meaning of life, every single dimension of life that you're talking about. I mean, you guys like uh, I, I want to like sit there on the street and videotape you guys and ask you questions about Dostoevsky or, you know, Philip Kitcher or like epistemology, Michael Williams, blah, 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 all of that stuff. I, I think that you guys know a lot less than you think you do. I think we would probably be the first people to, to agree that we don't know as much as 
you might f- think we claim to know. Um, very, very common in my videos, I would very sloppily conflate belief and knowledge in the same conversation. I understand now as SE is gaining attention, academics in these fields are coming forward and saying, you're doing it wrong. You're not studied. You're not practiced. You, you, have, no, you have no justification for being out there. Um, this book was not written for academics. This, this book is written for exactly like people like But it's a bad book. It's, it's like a second-rate, fifth-rate book that is in the name of everything I believe in. Okay, well, okay. I'm sorry that you feel that way. How, how <laughs> no, no. Of, of those beliefs are you? <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to keep it like no, no. Heart. It's it's really a bad book. Yeah. The Goshen book is embarrassing. I would not give him tenure, and I am an atheist skeptic. <laughs> I'm always interested when we meet people who have expertise in in philosophy or uh, academic epistemology, that type of thing. Um we're open to suggestions. So like you, you kind of, I think you were sort of joking, like I'm going to film you and ask you all these questions. I think it would be wonderful if you would join the Facebook groups that we have or the discord server that we have and help us get better at it. Educate us. If you think that you have a background and an expertise that, that can help us do what we're doing, we're, I'm certainly open to it. Uh, we we could do we could do something like that. I'm sorry. I've, I, it's just very. I, I've been like reading the Bogosian book all day, and I've just been embarrassed, right? And okay. and uh, it's it's my world. So I you know I don't know, Randy. What do you think? <laughs> I, think Randy, Rand, I think Randy jumped off. He's gone. No, um, Jimmy, I, I think now I'm going to be careful not to bite off more than I can chew here because I don't have a background in philosophy, but, um, is your frustration with Bogosian's lack of understanding how much weight somebody's belief, uh, translates into knowledge? Like that was my frustration was like, we've left the church and we've all tried to talk to our family about why the church isn't true and it almost never works and we probably did it wrong but um you could still follow this method and i know i'm thinking as i'm reading it i know this wouldn't wouldn't work they believe what they believe and they know what they know how effective really is this message or method and with with that said though i'm kind of coming full circle because um I haven't watched a ton of SE videos on YouTube, but I did see Anthony's um, seminar. It was like a, a live class and you, you had some bad examples and some good examples. And I think it was, uh, what are we doing wrong or something like that. And um, the, the videos on YouTube really put a, a human connection that was missing from the book. So in, in the book I read, this is how you can deconvert. 
everybody to be an atheist. But in the videos, I was seeing this is how to have a meaningful conversation that's non-threatening, that you can have with really anybody and you don't have to agree with them. I got more from watching the videos. And and the example you gave of a, of a good video, there was a a student on the on a university campus and he it was a, it was your good example and it was a really good example. It was like he was just like sincerely like, "Huh, I've never thought about it like that before." And he wasn't uh threatened. You guys were just having a a really genuine conversation and it didn't last very long and you left it with your card and and he was kind of like yeah like I'm gonna call you that was really neat and the look on his face of curiosity I guess or just hmm I've never even thought about that before made me think of like when I would when I taught science to middle and high schoolers and that's the part of this method that I love is just getting people to think about things, whether it be God or any kind of worldview or anything, maybe in a different way and to question why they think that way to question, to actually ask themselves, especially young people, well, why do you think that? And how do you know that you're right? I think it's just a really good way to open up this whole the whole thing the whole epistemology how do we as humans know what we know and why do we think we're right versus everybody else yeah and i think especially when those beliefs become such a a a rigid part of people's identities at times that that like trying to I'm, i'm picturing like people as gears trying to enmesh with each other to be able to, you know, like cooperation or something like that. But if it's really, really rigid, it's not going to fit. It's not going to bend. It's not going to be flexible. And I, I, I like what you said, Delaney, it, uh, because I kind of heard this in the different answers that, that Reed gave and Anthony gave as to what, what's a success, what's a successful encounter where Reed was thinking about the person that he's talking to, does he go from a, you know, stage one thinking to a stage two thinking, watching that Anthony was more, how does the person feel about the conversation? So like, not, not so much about making a change in the person, but did we have, uh, did, did I do the kind of approach that made them feel good about the conversation? And, and I, I think for, for many listeners of our audience that have, family members, friends that are still true believers in the Mormon church. You might hear something like a book called a manual for creating atheists. And the first thought was like, Oh, awesome. Because I want, I want my family members who are on the other side of this line to come over onto my side of the line. And this is, this will, this will show me how to bring them over onto my side of the line. And I think what I've learned from watching the videos and I think listening to the conversation here you guys aren't really worried so much about bringing them over onto the other side of the line as having a conversation with them. So they're more open to eventually exploring their boundaries or exploring their limits or whatever. Um, And that it's kind of, how do you build bridges through conversations where with family members, that's really, you've got, you still got to have these relationships with people and it's hard. So you've got to like be less rigid, be more soft. That's kind of what I'm taking away from it. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Am I, am I on the right path? 
Am I street epistemologist uh, <laughs> serial? Like I could be a, a novice or something. There's, there's hope for me, or am I like a lost case? You're a total novice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, this this is something that I, I I think that what Delaney was was saying was really interesting, and um, because because like Delaney, you taught, right? Have you been a teacher? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So when you're teaching or you're on the street or you're with your children and everything, you're, you know, part of what you're doing is you're teaching them how to learn, right? And I think that that's what this street epistemology stuff, especially if you look at the videos, uh, is all about, right? Is, okay, how do we know what we know? How do we know what we don't think we know? Everything like that, right? And, um, and there's this sort of like reflection back on yourself when you're asking someone else, like, okay, so you guys, what do you know about X, right? Uh, do you think that like morality is this sort of thing that is real or not, or is it just a subjective thing, right? Whatever. And it seems like that's what you guys are picking up on at your best, right? Is that that sort of uh, issue of, 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 of self-questioning, right? Epistemology, like how do I know what I know? Uh, on the other hand, the book by Boghossian seems to be very dogmatic. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that I, I would just be very, very curious to know what you guys think i think one of the first realizations that i took away after going out and talking to people is that i have to be open to what they're saying is true and these are the people that i'm running into they're, they're lay people generally i mean i've run into professional believers and that type of thing yeah. um, i try to be open to what they're saying even as as ridiculous as it might sound they may have used a reliable way to get to that conclusion so um, that's just kind of what we were talking about earlier, where you tend to um, you tend to have a lot more empathy for the people that you're talking to. And I think you tend to be a little bit more humble about the things that you think that you think are true. They may not that actually is, be true. That's, that is actually very perfect. That, that's actually how a teacher thinks, right? Mm. Um, and that's, that's how you like learn when you're teaching, right? That's, yeah, that's it's, it's funny because teaching especially like within this last year, teaching the method really, yes, I wanted to put examples up, but only within last year have I like turned the camera on myself afterwards to say, okay, now that was an interesting conversation. She said this and I said this, and I, sh I probably should have rephrased it this way. And that type of thing. Like I want people to, to learn this method after watching it and maybe being entertained by a discussion. Um, and I want to teach the people that I'm talking to that it's okay to question, it's okay to doubt, it's okay to ask, how did that belief get in there in the first place? And, and that's what I'm hoping to, to foster, I suppose, by uploading these examples. Yeah, I definitely want to model the behavior that I'd like to see and who I'm talking with. Uh, there's actually a, a section in the book that I was going over before we started recording. The Bogosian says... Uh, keep in mind the possibility the faithful know something you don't, that they may have a reliable method of reasoning that you've overlooked. 
that there's a miscommunication or that they can somehow help you to think more clearly. So. I should add too that uh, we are not dogmatic about Bogosian's book. It's it's not this. Um, it was it was chock full of ideas. People read it, went out, and saw what worked and what didn't. Um, we're not tied to the book. And in fact, Bogosian himself wrote a blog post that is on the Street Epistemology website. I can't remember the title of it. Do you remember, Reed? It's something like um, basically encouraging people to, to experiment with the method and make it their own. We're, we're, not, um, we're not beholden to Bogosian. People are not beholden to Anthony Magnabosco or Reed Nicewonder or the or the the semi-well-known practitioners of the method. Um, the, the way that this approach gets better is from criticism, is from practice, and sharing the examples that we're having with people. So, and, and meeting experts in various disciplines, like I mentioned before. If there are people that are listening to this that have expertise in philosophy, uh, psychology, etc., and you think that you can make this better, we want you to come forward. And we're not tied to anything. I suspect, I've said this many times on different interviews, but we've come a long way in five years. I can only imagine where we'll be in another five. I think we'll probably be light years ahead of where we're at right now. Yeah, if we're doing the same thing five years from now, I would be very disappointed. (laughs) I've seen a lot of change just in the last year in how we engage with people. We could probably get into that if you want. Glenn? I was on mute. I said, yeah, I'd be interested to hear that. Okay, well, one of the things we started doing is doing some thought experiments at the start, or, or sometimes we hit a roadblock and we're like, okay, this person seems to think that truth is relative, everyone can have their own truth, maybe we should examine that a little bit. So then we, uh, we do these little fun little thought experiments with a box of Tic Tacs, or we might even, before we even get into examining the claim, we, we will explain what we're doing and say, hey, I'm going to make a claim, I'm going to say that I own a Ferrari. Uh, where do you think you'd be in terms of your confidence that that's a true claim? And you can have this wonderful little dialogue about this very safe topic, and you're exploring critical thinking. You're exploring probabilities and a very benign topic. And then maybe you can shift to – maybe your time runs out and they have to go. There's, there's value in these conversations, and sometimes we have these little back and forth, and we never get into the deeply held belief that they think is really true. Maybe then we'll save that for another day. What else have we been done? Uh, there was the other you, thing, read the survey. What, what do you do with the Tic Tacs? What's the thought experiment? <laughs> uh, the Tic Tacs, uh, I don't know how we came up with that one. Um, so the idea there is that we run into a lot of people. One of the things that we do when we meet people is we bring out the outsider test for faith. So if they think a God is real and they're a Muslim, we might say, uh, why do you think the Muslim God is real? And they may say, I get this strong feeling that it's true. And we may say, well, Mormons will actually tell us the same thing. How can we differentiate and figure out who's true, who's correct? Some people will say, well, everyone can have their own truth. The person who has the feeling that Allah is real is just as justified as the person who thinks that Joseph Smith was the prophet. And it can be really problematic when people go relativistic. The the purpose of the candies is to say something like, Okay, we have a box of candies here. Do you agree that the total number of pieces is even or odd and it can't be both? Yeah. And if people buy into that, if they accept that premise, then you have a good baseline to move forward and some of the other things. And that's where that comes up. It's funny how many times people will say, oh, 
you can, if you think that there's an odd number of pieces in there, and I think that there's an even number, we're both correct. Even if we count them up and we came up, we come up to the same number, you know that you have a larger issue there. So these, these little thought experiments seem to help identify possible barriers to a good conversation and you can just knock them out easily at the, at the start. There's another thing that we do too, where there's this one practitioner, he's in South Africa and he came up with something like a 20, a 20 questionnaire, 20 question questionnaire, something along the lines of, you know, do you strongly agree? Do you strongly disagree? Do you believe that we're sharing the same reality? Do you think that truth is the same, no matter where you happen to be standing in the world? Uh, what is your view on the meaning of words? These types of questions. And you can just have a wonderful conversation just exploring these, these very broad concepts. I, I, I always just like having discussions with people about their beliefs. I, I, uh, I, I used to teach uh, intro to folklore classes at Indiana University. And I, I would do a section on beliefs and, and folk beliefs, the role that tradition plays in beliefs. And... Uh, it, I, it wasn't exactly the same as this 20 question questionnaire, but I'd have like, you know, do, do you believe in you know God, devil, angels, aliens, you know, all, all these things down there. And there were certain clusters that you would, that, that, that people would kind of expect, Oh, if somebody believes in a God, then they probably also believe in a devil, or they probably also believe in angels or life after death or something and to, so to see if there were correlations between the beliefs or not. And there, it was amazing how random some of these, things were i don't know i ah. I, I don't i never did anything with that it was just kind of like a fun cl- inner class activity that we would do but but uh yeah I, I i've always enjoyed talking with people about their beliefs and finding out why and, and and so like how they come to know and when you guys get to in in these interviews that i've seen when you really get them to a place where they can't really explain why they know what they know. It's just a feeling kind of thing. Like you can see them kind of retrench a little bit, but they also, maybe that's, that's at the point read where they go into like a phase two thinking and kind of like looking around a bit more. What, what have your experiences been like as far as, um, do you ever get people to really have an existential crisis right in front of you or does that happen at all? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. The, these deeply held beliefs, they're going to take time. And we're just like the first step. We're, when we talk about SC, we're kind of talking about just placing little pebbles in people's shoes, just something for people to think about later on during that day or maybe the, the next few days. Yeah. Well, I've or, met a few like people, a, though. I have to say, I've met a few people where they were further along in their journey of doubt, yeah. where they, they're, they're not, they weren't 100% sure that this is true. Yeah. They were like at a 40 and they were in that very, uh, if everyone, you know, the people listening to this are probably can probably relate to this. I would imagine. I know you folks probably can where, um, you're desperately looking for something to let you keep this belief. Yeah. And if you meet somebody like that, it can get quite emotional. I have a talk on my channel. I believe her name was, is Katie and you can watch that channel. She ends up crying on the trail. I think she was, she was, really struggling to find reasons to keep the belief and struggling to come up with reasons why this life mattered without her cherished God belief. 
and, and that could be, you have to be prepared for that. The, yeah. You're not messing around when you, when you right. start asking people these, these questions. We, we also try to talk about when we're in these interviews as well with folks like you guys of the importance of the obligation that we have when you talk to somebody, uh, give them a card, give them a way to contact you because you may have left not a pebble, but a freaking boulder in their shoe mm. that it's, it's, it, it made a huge impact on their life. How, where do they go? Yeah. Where, where are the communities out there? Where are the ex-Mormons at where I can go if, if I'm starting to doubt? Uh, it's one of the reasons why we spend a lot of time with recovering from religion. And uh, we, we have very good ties with the ex-Muslims of North America and the mm-hmm. ex-Mormons group, groups and the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. These are wonderful communities that are out there. And, mm-hmm. and we want them to know about SE because from my understanding, we're starting to send a lot of people their way, not just Rita myself, people mm-hmm. who are asking these questions of street epistemology, people who are watching videos are reaching out to these support groups because they started asking themselves these questions. And that's a, that's a huge component of SE that you'll never find that. I don't think there's anything in the book about post conversation support that, that, that was never, I don't think that was ever a thought. It might be in there. I don't know. It's been, it's been years since I've, uh, I, I, read it I think listened. I do remember him saying that he would provide them with resources or names. Of, oh, did he? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah there, there might be resources yeah. in the back of the book or something, but I, I don't remember it being a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that the author didn't think that that was important, but yeah. I, I don't remember it being, you know, front and center along with all the, all the other stuff. Um, as, as you were talking, I, I, I remembered, I think Reed, it was one of your videos that I saw that, that there was a woman kind of the opposite of what you were saying, Anthony, that she, really wanted to be an atheist she just she just wanted to be an atheist and she didn't know how and and i think when when you asked her her degree of certainty it was like 50 50 and so like i'm I'm sure you guys see this but i'm 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 wondering if if it's even like an I, I don't know when, when people will say I'm 50, 50 in the way that I believe, but in the way that I behave, I'm all in, you know, like <laughs> I, I still go to church. I still do all these things, even though I only kind of half believe like you can't really be half pregnant or whether are you going or are you not? Do you see a correlation between the, those stated beliefs and what their actions or lifestyle is, or is it too short of an interview to really see those things? As I was listening to your past past podcast, who here is like a big fan of Jonathan Haidt? Me. Okay. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of Jonathan yeah. Haidt. And uh, I, <laughs> what what did you say, Jimmy? I I'm less of a fan, but I know. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like his Durkheimian model of religious psychology. It's really yeah. about that belonging component. Right. Uh, so it's not merely just our beliefs. Um, it, there's a there's a lot to it. Yeah. It's funny because you're almost perfectly describing the person that I met a couple of days ago. It's a woman. She's, she said she was about 50% sure that her God is real. She identified as a Roman Catholic and she happened to be with a woman, a friend who was 99% sure, but we ended up talking to the 50 percenter and we started getting into her reasons why. And she mentioned faith and the, the definition varied four times throughout the conversation until we, we settled on one. And then, and then, I asked her, like, what would be different if you if you dropped your confidence to a five? If through the course of this conversation, you came to realize that faith was a woefully unreliable 
method for getting to your conclusion, you're 50% now, and you drop to a five, what would change? And she said, well, I guess I'd probably have a lot more time on the weekends. Like I wouldn't have to go to church anymore. And she wasn't really saying a whole lot of like harmful things. Like I thought she'd say, well, I'd lose friends. I'd lose family. I could lose my job. Like the cost for her wasn't all that high. Yeah. But what was interesting was her 99% friend who was there, her friend who was 99% sure said something like, if you, (laughs) if you, if you don't believe in God, then you might have more time to question things. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, and I said, like, would that be a bad thing? And it led to this wonderful discussion where we started talking about what her life would be like if she didn't have the belief. So a lot of this goes to meeting a person where they're at with their, with your questions. Mm. There are some people who can't even, they would be insulted if you ask them what God specifically are you believing in? They haven't even considered that other people yeah. might be believing in a different God. Yeah. And then there are other people who are like, they're just holding on to the scraps of this belief and a few questions and they shed it. They abandon it. Yeah. And people who don't even understand that when they, they say that they believe in the same God, it's not, everybody's got their own. <laughs> that kind of goes back to the whole Tic Tac thing. If yeah. somebody thinks, right? Like yeah, a lot of people will say, uh, yeah, everyone's, uh, they're just all believing in the same God. You can kind of yeah. suss that problem out with the, with the Tic Tac example. Yeah. Yeah. Like focusing on the characteristics of God, you know, cause, cause if, if you bring up enough characteristics of God, you're going to get some differ people who differ yeah. on how kind or loving or forgiving or, you know, whatever this God that everybody says they believe in the same mm-hmm. one is, but. Well, when we have these talks, we, we try not to get too wrapped up in like what makes your God special. <laughs> yeah. What's so special about your doctrine? What's so special about your God? What practices do you follow? How many times do you pray a week or whatever? Mm-hmm. I don't really care about that. I'm interested in how you determine that this is true, How'd that you your know? God is real. And if you stay focused on these very core claims and you ask questions, you give them plenty of time to process it and maybe even end the talk because it looks like they're getting overwhelmed and you revisit it later. You're, you're going to probably make some really good progress, far better progress, I think, than ridiculing somebody, laughing at them, uh, showing them facts to show that they're mistaken, that type of thing. All right. Well, I'm, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation, guys. I, I don't really have much more to, to ask or to add. Um, Jimmy, Delaney, anything from either of you? Yeah, what's your favorite place to talk to people? Um, park or university? I bounce, I bounce back and forth between two parks here in Los Angeles and Hollywood. Uh, there's Running Canyon or Griffith Park. Sometimes I go out to the Santa Monica Beach, but yeah, that's my main spots. And I've had the opportunity to go with Reed to two of those locations, I think. And sit down and use his setup. So I've used Reed's sit-down setup, and I've also done my stand-up setup. I've been in front of the Alamo with street with yelling street preachers. I've been at uni- several university campuses throughout town. When I give talks, I, I try to build in an extra day where I can go do talks, you know, somewhere locally or whatever. University of Missouri, I think I did a talk there, Mizzou. Uh, and now I'm on the trail talking to some older people. My favorite, I have to say, is university students. They, they're in an educational environment. They're used to being challenged in that, in that, in that area. 
They usually have a little time in between classes. They tend to be comfortable in front of cameras and being recorded. Like they're, they're Instagramming all the time. Like what's, what's, what's the big deal with a YouTube video? So there's a comfort factor there. They tend to be a little bit more open than older people. And, uh, what else? I mean, there's just so many, there's so many advantages to, to talking to a college age student. Uh, so that's probably my favorite, I would say. Yeah. The universities. Cool. So I love that question. Um, I, I have one just final question is what do you think has changed your mind? Like what are, what are thoughts that you have now that you wouldn't have had before because you've been going out and doing your street epistemology with these university kids and other people? That's a really good question too. Do you want to take it, read it first and I can jump in. Um, sure. Yeah. I've been doing this for in person going on two years now, a little bit before that, just online. But yeah, I think I've, I've, I've changed. I'm no longer definitely an angry atheist and I no longer really even think of atheism versus theism anymore. It's just, we are humans. We have needs, um, certain ideologies help us meet certain needs psychological or social and i just i don't really see uh, this us versus them battle anymore i think we're just humans trying to go through life the best we can and uh, try to keep an open mind for whatever people believe um and uh you know just got to keep some epistemic humility and model uh, that as best I can through my conversations. Okay, and I jotted down a few things while Rita was talking. So uh, these are just off the top of my head. I probably have 30 of these things, but I'll give you three. Uh, First, atheists are not rational by default. Just because you don't believe in a God does does not mean that you, you came to that decision using a reliable process, nor does it mean that you are exempt from other beliefs that are that are untrue. Okay. Um, there's nothing special about an atheist where the, the second you discard your God belief, you're suddenly this wise, rational person. Uh, that, that was kind of a, a wake up when I, I met lots of atheists who thought that they have a soul because they have a feeling that that's the case, that type of stuff. And second, I would say <laughs> saying, I don't know is okay. It's okay to be uncertain. There's nothing wrong with saying that you don't know. And that's a good, that's actually a good thing to model. I'd rather say I don't know something than pretend that I do. And then the third thing that I wrote down is that it's important. The very important thing that I've learned is it's so important to be there for people. You can go out and have all these conversations and spend time editing videos and doing interviews, but you have to build in some time to be there for the people that you talk to that they're starting to doubt and they need support. I spend quite a bit of my time every week talking to people that have either watched my videos and they're, they're having some difficulties or they're actually people that I've spoken to that are struggling with the belief that we talked about. And, and that's important. Make time for the people that you're, that you're speaking with and you're not playing around when you're having these types of conversations. I want to hear the other 27. 
<laughs> Those are great. <laughs> well, maybe if I write a book, they'll be in there. Yeah, so. all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, you guys, for coming on. Jimmy, yeah. Delaney, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was really nice talking to everybody and, and giving us a chance to explain it, uh, explain street epistemology a little bit better. It's come a long way since the book, I think. And and, and maybe just in closing, if, if each of you could uh, uh, plug your YouTube channel, website, anything like that again, or any resources for people who are interested in joining these SE groups, where would you direct them? Sure. Uh, you can Google Cordial Curiosity. I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And then there's the Facebook street epistemology groups just search for street epistemology on facebook you'll find our groups yeah i think one of the best ways to learn se is to watch the videos and people other than myself and reed are uploading examples there's a tiny url a tiny url tiny url.com forward slash se latest releases and you can see all the different discussions that are happening about se uh, there is an app that's out there where you can practice this method. There's a Discord server. And uh, reach out to us. We try to be accessible on social media. So if you have some advice, if you have some concerns, please reach out to us. We want to hear it and uh, help us make this better. All right. Thanks, guys. Best of luck. Thank right. you. Thanks, everyone. All right. That was really fun. Thanks. Good night. All right. So that does it for today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Anthony and Reed. And remember, this upcoming Sunday, October 28th, 2018, at 10 p.m. Eastern, we will be talking with Anthony once again. So please join us if you so desire. There's more of Infants on Thrones to experience for Patreon supporters. So if you haven't joined to support us on Patreon yet, please do, because it's more than worth it. Hi, this is Carol Robinson from Jacksonville, Florida, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thanks for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.